Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd and immigrant and host of this amazing podcast. On every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cover trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we're exploring the global immigration landscape against the backdrop of a crush of layoffs washing through the United States tech sector. While the situation is sparking panic among a large number of immigrants, many of whom are scrambling to stay employed or risk losing their right to live in the United States, the immigration reality on the other side of the planet is actually quite different. Coming up in a few minutes, an in-depth discussion about how new workforce planning and hiring policies in the APAC region are creating opportunity for highly skilled migrants. With us, some of Ericsson's top APAC nerds, Martin Russell and Ariana Karamudi. But first, we start with a roundup of the recent immigration news that we should all be aware of. And you know, we've got just the right news nerd for that. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Rob. That's the one and only Rob Taylor, partner at Ericsson Immigration Group. What tops the immigration news feed today, my friend? Well, we have a few things we wanted to cover. Uh, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. You know, so for us, it's been a busy year to start off. Most of our listeners know we work with a lot of tech companies. And unfortunately, in February, there were over 28,000 U.S. tech workers that were laid off. So while the tech industry saw you know, a pretty significant boom during COVID, companies have really started to compress due to the economy. So for us, it's been a busy time helping clients navigate the difficulties associated with downsizing. Uh, you know, it's tough for a lot of people when they lose their jobs. And, you know, now they're suddenly having to explore what their future looks like in the U.S. And they have a lot of challenges that they face with regards to maintaining their status and understanding, you know, what their work authorization options are moving forward. Uh, so for us, you know, it's really important to engage companies at a legal level because we need to let them know what their the legal requirements are, but to also be able to engage our clients at a personal level and understand that there's people that are impacted by each of these layoffs and, and really be there to support them through the process. And I guess in a juxtaposition to that, we see the H-1B cat season upon us with the selection of new H-1B visas. Yeah, you know, so so the, the H-1B cap timing-wise this year has been difficult for a lot of folks, particularly in relation to the the layoffs that we just talked about. You know, a lot of these individuals are F-1 students who are, are finishing up their degrees and their postgraduate work authorization, and now they're looking at trying to find long-term employment in the U.S. And so the H-1B cap lottery is, is a very important process in that step. And, and for many of them, they were getting ready to have their information submitted in the H-1B cap registration, which started on March the 1st. But because of these layoffs, many of them are now scrambling to try to find new employers that can submit them for registration. Um, so that registration you know, stays open till the 17th. So we're closely working with these individuals to understand what their options are and, and kind of how to navigate this difficult time. And one of the key developments from our last podcast was the Biden administration's announcement regarding asylum. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I kind of feel like 
uh, my all my news today is not very uh, not very good news, um, and I don't know if this is actually any better. Um, you know, I think the Biden administration was attempting to create some order at the border by essentially requiring folks to either apply for asylum outside of in a country other than the U.S. first, or having to go through kind of this like online registration system. But what it has done practically is really eliminated the ability for folks to apply directly at the border. And oftentimes those are the individuals that are most in need. So it's just a proposed rule at this point. You know, we're waiting to see how this moves forward and how it develops. Um, but we're, we're hoping that the administration will layer in some additional leniency and flexibility to ensure that those who actually need asylum the most have it available to them and don't run into restrictions really when it comes to like red tape is, is kind of how I look at it. And it's an interesting timing perspective as being on the beat as we are here at Immigration Nerds. We did discuss in depth in our last podcast about such a proposal and such an impact at the border. Yeah, we'll definitely continue to keep a close eye on it. We'll continue to keep folks up to date and notified of any changes or developments. But for the time being, it doesn't look like it's going to be a positive development from what we've seen so far. Nerds, that was your immigration news. But now for some Ericsson immigration news. One thing that we're excited to announce our one-year anniversary of our office in Singapore. While we've seen some restriction of work and the economy in the U.S., you know, we've seen a lot of opportunity globally for folks to work, and our footprint has continued to expand in that regard. So as a little bit of background, when I started with the firm back in 2006, actually, we really were only providing U.S. immigration services at the time. One of my first responsibilities was to help develop an immigration practice outside of the U.S., and since that time, we've now expanded our services to include over 100 countries. So when it comes to the APAC region, we have a lot of clients there who require a lot of services, and we specifically found that it would be beneficial to open an office there. So we, uh, we opened that office about a year ago and have really seen a lot of success in our ability to better support our clients in that region. So we're really excited for this office as well as uh, future offices opening soon. It just goes to show that the growth of Ericsson Immigration Group will continue, but also allows us to provide resources and assistance to our clients, including this immigration podcast, but as well, one year in Singapore with our Singapore office. That was the news with immigration nerd, Rob Taylor. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Lauren. Now for a conversation about how nations in the Asia-Pacific are stepping up efforts to woo tech workers as the world returns to normality following the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining us now, legal professionals who know a great deal about global workforce and the crunch in the tech sector. With us live from Melbourne, Martin Russell, Senior Manager Australia at Ericsson Immigration Group. Hi, Martin. Hi, Lauren. Pleasure to be here. And with us live from Singapore, Eridiana Karamudi, Ericsson Immigration Manager in APAC. Welcome. Thanks, Lauren. Let's start with you, Ariana. The immigration momentum in Singapore is palpable. The new framework called Compass is going into effect in September. Can you get us all up to speed on what is Compass and what can we expect from this framework? Post-COVID, with the travel measures lifted in most countries, Singapore is taking their time to cautiously bring in foreign talents. So as part of the government continuing effort to protect the labour market 
And given the uncertainty of the Singapore job market and growth, Ministry of Manpower, the authority in Singapore, has announced they will progressively implementing changes to Employment Pass eligibility framework and raising the qualifying salary for Employment Pass and introducing a point-based complementary assessment in short compass for EP application. These changes will apply progressively on 1st September. The firm related or the diversity component of Compass is looking at balancing the amount of foreign workers coming in versus what is the local workforce. Can you talk a little bit more about why this is an important part of the framework for Singapore? This is actually the first time Singapore is introducing a point-based system to evaluate work passes for foreign nationals. These changes will strengthen the quality of foreign hires and local workforce. At the same time, it will create more transparent and clearer process for all the employers. And in terms of firm-related attributes, they're going to focus on diversity, whether candidate improve nationality diversity in the firm, and also support for local employment based on the local PMET share relative to industry's peer. For me, uh, as in what I can see as a whole, the government has been tightening foreign worker policies for several years while taking steps to promote local hiring, including raising the salary threshold for issuing passes. Uh, the government will continue to evaluate the economy, market growth, uh, and gradually and progressively there will be tightening in criteria for work pass. While the government it continues to ensure qualifying salaries for foreigners keep pace with local wages, they are also studying how to improve the work visa framework. For those that is not eligible, there's possible of appealing the cases as well. So Compass will not stop here. I think this is a trial for Singapore and because this is the first time that it is kickstart in Singapore. So I think the government will take in a lot of feedback from Compass and they are going to be very flexible in terms of reviewing each individual case. Amazing. Thank you so much for that insight. Thanks, Lauren. So now moving to have a look at another APAC perspective, let's hear from Martin Russell, Senior Manager Australia at Ericsson Immigration Group. Martin, can you tell us a little bit about the COVID-19 impact on the Australian immigration and its labour market and kind of what is its current views towards either changing immigration practices or policy to help facilitate the labour market as it stands post-COVID-19? From an Australian perspective, this discussion is actually quite timely as we're just over a year to the day since our international borders reopened. And despite the relative freedom of travel we now have to Australia, we're still suffering high levels of skill shortages in almost every sector and in every industry. The lack of traditional backpackers has had a significant impact on the agricultural industry as well as in the hospitality space, which has in turn been further hit by the lack of overseas students traveling to Australia. And I, I think the reasons for the drop in numbers traveling to Australia since the reopening of the borders can be put down to a number of factors. 
Firstly, the huge visa backlogs. Whilst have been improved significantly over the recent months, there's currently still sitting at around half a million undecided applications. And it's simply not possible to have any certainty any longer as to if and when a visa application will be finalized, which I'm sure you can imagine is disastrous for workforce planning. Secondly, and especially huge for the number of international students, during the COVID-19 pandemic, universities successfully pivoted towards online learning. So there isn't necessarily the need for international students to be physically in Australia any longer. Finally, and I think quite importantly, Lauren, reputationally, Australia has suffered internationally. The image of Australia being a relaxed and welcoming country has to some extent been smashed based on our somewhat draconian COVID-19 measures. As I mentioned before, the international borders were closed. This was from March 2020 to late 2021. But many of the listeners may not realise that my hometown of Melbourne was locked down a total of six times during that period, totaling 262 days and was one of, if not the most, lockdown cities in the world. Yeah, the COVID-19 has had a big impact on migration, immigration and labor workforces. And that effect has definitely been felt across the world, if not more so in Australia. And so seeing Australia come out of those COVID-19 lockdown practices, both in Melbourne and across the country, have we seen any decision or any direction from the ministry in regards to changing in policy to alleviate that impact? Well, we're moving in in the right directions, Lauren. Um, So look, in order to counter all of these lack of, of available skills in Australia, late last year, the federal government in conjunction with a number of other bodies such as unions, employers, civil society, and our state governments held a wide ranging, what they call jobs and skills summit to address some shared economic challenges and opportunities facing the Australian labor market and economy. As I'm sure you can imagine, immigration was a key focus of that summit. And the the key takeouts from that summit were to increase the permanent migration program planning levels from 195,000 in this calendar year, of which just around three quarters of those allocated were to skilled workers. The other main takeouts were to provide an estimated $35 million in additional funding to address this visa backlog that I was talking about, and also to continue with the relaxed working conditions for working holiday makers and students that are already in Australia. Now, the government also undertook to conduct a review of the entire migration system in Australia to ensure it meets the challenges for the coming decade And there is widespread concern that the current model is not fit for purpose. So the Home Affairs Minister, a lady by the name of Claire O'Neill, and the newly formed Migration Review Team will prepare a draft architecture for a new Australian migration system. And Lauren, this is to be released in April of this year. So definitely something that we are going to want to keep an eye on for our listeners across the world. And I guess one of the key things that I think will probably be addressed within that new architecture is going to be skilled visas, 
We see that being a key area, as you identified earlier, skilled labor migrants are a key demographic that we are looking to attract back into Australia. But I think one thing that we've noticed or one thing that seems to come up a lot with skilled visas within Australia is that there's not really an opportunity for them to invest in a future in Australia. They can't invest in their education. They don't have ability to get a loan to start a business, which may limit their interest in permanently staying in Australia. Can you predict whether there might be changes to make the skilled visa more desirable for foreigners looking to come to Australia on this type of visa? One of the things that makes it difficult for Australia to be an attractive destination for company-sponsored workers are, as I mentioned before, the long processing times, the costs for employer-sponsored immigration are astronomical. Compared to many other countries, it's just comparing chalk and cheese. One example of that would be that if you have a family, a nuclear family, let's say, of, of two parents and two children who are coming to Australia for four years on a, on a temporary work-sponsored visa, government fees alone can be close to 15000 Australian dollars. So it's really just an unattractive option for a lot of companies to sponsor people. You've also got the labour market testing requirement that goes with sponsoring individuals to Australia. It's really unwieldy. To some extent, it's just a box ticking exercise. So you can say you've tested the labour markets, even though you've got no intention of hiring an Australian citizen. The words I used before that the whole system not being fit for purpose is perfectly encapsulated in the temporary company sponsored work visa process. So I think that's one of the key focuses for the immigration department during this, this review process. One thing that I would say that we hope is going to be looked at, and we can't guarantee that for obvious reasons, is currently there's two levels, if you like, of company-sponsored work visas. Those, pro those visas that will lead to Australian permanent residence and those which won't. So what we have currently is certain individuals can come to Australia for a maximum period of four years and then have to depart Australia or find a different type of visa. That has really had an impact on people's desire to come to Australia. Because what a lot of people might not realise who are listening to this, this podcast is that Australia isn't just a place where you come and work to improve your career or accelerate your career opportunities. Historically, it's really been a lifestyle destination. So it's really been attractive to the younger individuals who want to come to Australia, enjoy Bondi Beach, enjoy the Sydney Harbour and do a little bit of work as well. Now, a lot of these people don't have the ability to remain in Australia on a permanent basis. It's becoming less attractive. So I think really what the Department of Immigration and the Minister is looking at is just generally how to make Australia a more attractive destination. And so it's interesting, I guess, with that comment, we can draw parallels to the H-1B visa that we previously mentioned at the beginning of this program as being one of those desirable visa categories here in the U.S. And although we're seeing, you know, a big impact to this population through tech layoffs, the United States is not alone in the struggles of its immigration landscape, as we can see in Australia. But there definitely is hope for the APAC region, as we kind of explored with Singapore. So, Martin, thank Thank you for your insights from Australia. There's definitely a lot to look forward to in terms of Australia's immigration policies over the course of the next 12 months. Absolutely. We're all waiting with bated breath for the outcomes and we'll keep you all informed. And thank you to all the nerds out there listening. You can track everything going on at Ericsson Immigration Group at our website, eiglaw.com. 
And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe and share and meet us right back here for another new episode of Immigration Nerds.